I, I've known Tim since uh, 2010, and we met through uh, Bethel Church in Reading and the Global Legacy, led by Paul Manwaring and Steve Buckland. And since then, Tim is coming out of my life on a number of different occasions. We we met in Bethel when he was out there visiting his daughter. Um, I've been to a number of the ELAs that uh, the European leadership meetings that Tim's running. And just to remind you, for those of you who haven't got tickets, there are very few tickets left, but there are tickets still available uh, for the 10th to the 12th of July when Bill Johnson will come over with his team and his, his leadership to speak at a very blessed event. And Tim has struck me in two ways when I've met with him, well, more than two ways. He struck me with the, the love he has for God and the love he has for people. He struck me um, as a person who is a great networker. He's, I mean, Tim is a go-to man. If, if you want to be connected some way to someone or something, it's just amazing, Tim's network. And in fact, one of the ways um, that Tim has uh, come into my life is through networking, and I've been to a number of his meetings that he's put together, and I highly recommend that uh, for both people who are in business and in ministry is a great way just to connect, you know, to connect at a, a very normal but special level. So I just thank, would like to thank Tim personally for that. But the thing that has really struck me about Tim is Tim's heart for revival. How not, I mean, I'm amazed that he has a vision for worldwide revival because, my, I mean, my vision, and I have to say, it tends to be at times very narrow. I'd like to see revival in Whitley Bay. I'd like to see revival in North Tyneside. I'd like to see it in South Tyneside. But, you know, it, it is about worldwide revival. And I would just like you to welcome Tim and to uh, just listen to what he has to say because I know we're just going to be so blessed. Thank you, Tim, for coming. Well, it's uh, an honor to be here and uh, to speak at As One. I uh, first found out about As One about a year ago, I think it was, and, and uh, I'd met Alan before, but met Alan again, and uh, he shared the vision, vision, and it just resonated with my own heart because that's kind of what I'm passionate about too. And uh, some of the things that I say tonight you'll already know, and some things you may be new to you, but whether it's old or new, we could be wise scribes and bring them out because they're all relevant for us tonight. I just want to start by just giving away something uh, by way of testimony because we've had an unusual few years. That's my wife and I and our family. Um, we've had an unusual few years of incredible breakthrough. And if you need a breakthrough, I want you to just grab the testimony that I'm sharing. It may not be exactly what you need, but just, you know, it's, it's there for you, there for the taking. And uh, I'm just going to tell you two, but there's, there's many more, but just two, two things. The first one was we had a daughter that was sick for eight years with a, a mental health disorder, eating disorder. And uh, she was in and out of hospital over that period. Uh, she nearly died twice. Uh, the doctors said she would never recover, um, that she would have this for the rest of her life. And uh, 
uh, and we went through a journey, you can imagine, over that eight years. But we never, ever doubted that God could heal her, but we needed to know he would heal her. And, uh, and we held on to hope and we received supernatural hope during that time. And, uh, and because of that, when everything was like in the storm, we had to look beyond that to a higher reality of what God said. And after eight miraculous years of walking that through, she had a, a breakthrough. And today I can tell you she's living on her own. Well, she lives with some friends, but she lives in Bristol. She's completely well. She's in sound mind. She's training to be a nutritionist. And uh, I just, I want to say that because if you have someone in your family or you yourself suffer from any kind of mental health, then when you get into the system, they, they mean well, they do well, they're speaking from their reality and their experience. But you know, there's a higher reality. And we don't have to come under that system. We respect doctors. I love doctors. Many of my friends are doctors. But you know, sometimes you just have to listen to the Word of God above it and just say, you know what? I'm choosing hope over fear. So if you've got any kind of sickness tonight, just put your hand up. I don't need to know what it is, but just put your hand up. We're going to release healing right now to you. Ha! Huh. Just turn around. If there's somebody with a hand up near you, just turn around and put a hand on them, on a shoulder near them, or move if you need to. We're just going to pray and release healing right now before we get into what I'm going to share. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus that you are my healer, you are our healer, and you do it extraordinary things. And we release healing right now in Jesus' name. Nothing is too hard for you. There's no area of our life that's too hard for you. And we speak authority today on healing. We release healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Ha. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Well, just, just keep receiving while I'm talking. And uh, the second testimony that we had is... My wife and I had got into some debt. How many, everybody say debt. And we're, we're normal people. And we overspent. And we borrowed uh, for an extension. And it went over budget. You know where the builder comes and says, this is how much it'll cost. And then when he's building it, doesn't tell you all the things it doesn't include. Anyway, long story short, we uh, had some debt. And we, it got to the point where the interest was compounding interest. You know what? It was like getting out of control. And it was on a credit card. It was the overspend for this, for this uh, extension. And uh, we repented for presumption. And then we came to our heavenly dad. And, and how many people know he's just a good God? We sang about him tonight. He doesn't hold things against us. He, he loves to give us, and uh, his grace is poured out, and, and that's what happened to us. And so for 15 months, we prayed. We didn't tell anybody else um, that we had a need, because we just didn't want to manipulate any situation. We just asked God, our Heavenly Dad, say, forgive us, 
and please help us. And our, our kind of best, best hope was that we could get back into managing this debt. Well, through six different incidences in a four-month period, God didn't just wipe out the debt, but he gave us over and above. Some people, unaware of this, had given us some money because it was at that time, this was a couple of years ago, it was coming up to our 30th wedding anniversary. And some people said, I'd like to sew into something because my wife had always had a dream to go to the Maldives. If you don't know where that is, it's paradise. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, it's like, like heaven on earth. But anyway, that's another story. So she had this dream. And people began to sow into this dream. But, you know, it was like, well, that's so fantastic, but we have this debt over here. And it'd be crazy to go to the Maldives while we have this debt. So maybe we should just use this to, to pay down the debt. Uh, and, but we, we were in that dilemma of not wanting to let people down, but at the same time having this, this dilemma. Anyway, the debt was paid off supernaturally without, without touching the gifts that were given for the Maldives. Uh, and then... Uh, we just felt, well, we need to give that away. And, uh, and I was driving along just thanking God, saying, thank you for clearing this debt. It was supernaturally cleared. And I, I just had a thought. It wasn't even a prayer. It was just a thought. Oh, but it would have been great to go to the Maldives. That's all it was. It wasn't even a prayer. And so if I tell you the debt was, was this amount of money, it was a huge sum of money, but it was like this amount we went somewhere, and somebody said, I, I want to give you a gift. And I said, what, well, you know, I was thinking like 100 quid or something. And, and, and they said, no, no, we want to give you this gift, but we want to know the best way to give it to you. And I'm, conf I'm confused. I'm thinking, well, just give me a check if that's what you want to do. And he goes, well, it's a large sum of money. And I said, oh, what are we talking about? After I was having a little conversation, I think, what, what, what amount are we talking about? And he told me this figure. And I nearly fell off my chair because it was double the amount that had just paid off the debt. Which meant we could go to the Maldives and we had more to give away and we had others to bless. That's like our, our dad. He doesn't just get us back into neutral. He wants to give us over and above. So everywhere since then, we've just prayed for people that need a breakthrough in finance. So I don't want you to be embarrassed. No one's looking at you. But if you need a breakthrough in finance. Oh, by the way, a, a couple of days after this, somebody in our church came to my wife and they were in business and some of it had gone badly and they were in greater need than we were. And uh, she just said it's impossible. And my wife said nothing's impossible with God. Nothing at all. So my wife prayed with her, and one week later she came back, and she said, you will not believe what's happened. And my wife said, try me. <laughs> and this couple had got 78,000 pounds in one week come in through a number of different sources. So we're not talking small figures here. We're talking big stuff. So I'm praying for my mortgage to be paid off now. <laughs> and I just had a friend whose mortgage was paid off supernaturally. So... So, you know, we're living in extraordinary days. We don't have to just, you know, I, I believe in managing well and stewardship and all the rest of it. But, you know, our dads wants to, you know, do, do more for us than just what we can do. So if you have a financial need, again, I just want you to put your hand up and I want to release breakthrough over you tonight. Don't be ashamed. 
you know, your heavenly dad knows everything anyway. So, Father, I just pray for everybody whose hand is up tonight. Lord, whether they've made mistakes or whether it's things that's happened to them, you, you don't care. You just love your kids. And I'm praying for supernatural breakthrough. Supernatural breakthrough in finance, in debt release. Ha. Huh. Lord, how you choose to do it is up to you. But we give you permission. We just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Wow. Well, that wasn't what I came to talk about, but... <laughs> As uh, Simon said, we have the, the honor of hosting a conference, and we've left some leaflets at the back. The European leaders advance. There are some places left at the moment. It's uh, Bill Johnson, Chris Fallerton, and Paul Manwaring from Bethel Church, and uh, Bannon Leibusher from Jesus Culture. They're all there together, and uh, it's a great time. You know, it's only up the road in Harrogate, so it's not far away. It's where I live, so I know it's not far away. So, uh, in the time that we've got left, I want to I want to talk to you about something that's really dear to my heart, and I think it's kind of where you guys are at. You're here for as one, and uh, and I I. <coughs> I just want to provoke you and uh, encourage you, remind you of some things. Uh, as I said, some you'll know, some maybe they're new to you, but it doesn't really matter because God's got a great plan for the northeast of England. He really has. You know, it's 25 years since I last came to Whitley Bay. In those days, I was selling pharmaceuticals to doctors, and I had to come to some chemist on the high street here and sort something out, but... Uh, I used to, I wasn't a very um, good salesperson because it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But God led me into it. I'd done a degree and I landed up selling pharmaceuticals. And uh, I had a problem because the area that I was, which was North Yorkshire, the doctors didn't want to see medical reps. They just like, no, we don't, we're too, I, I love doctors, I told you that. My friends are doctors, but they didn't want to see humble reps. And, uh, and so I had a problem because... I had to see 600 doctors in a year, and none of them wanted to see me. So I started to pray and release the Holy Spirit over my area and say, well, I know it's impossible. And, and even when I was recruited, they told me it was impossible to see doctors. And I thought, well, nothing's impossible with God. And so I just began to pray, and I, I worked with some other colleagues, and they said, this territory is ridiculous. It's 300 miles across. And, and we had to see something like five doctors a day. Well, you know, if I was over over in Hull and then the next appointment was over in Skipton, you know, that's like two hours drive. There's no way I could see two doctors in a little slot at the end of surgery. But anyway, I began to pray, release the Holy Spirit, say, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I would find myself in front of doctors that said, I don't see reps. I said, well, you're seeing this one. And they couldn't understand how, how these things would happen. And, and God would just maneuver things and... And, and, and I had a, a blessed three years doing that. And uh, I, I kind of overlapped with moving to Harrogate. We, we led a church for 20 years. And it was the first three years of us leading that church that I was also selling these pharmaceuticals. And I was known as the drug pusher and pastor. <laughs> Legal ones, I should say. And uh, so I was in business and, and, and dealing with businesses. I used to come up to the Northeast quite a lot. So it's great to be back. 
after 25 years and, uh, and see what God's doing with people here in this, this community. And, uh, uh, you know, this area is destined to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Seriously, it is. In fact, it probably only needs about a dozen people to do it. But, you know, just looking around here, there's more than a dozen. So it's just going to happen. <coughs> we just know it's going to happen. So I want to talk to you about um, uh, six R's. Six R's, the letter R. And uh, we may not get through all of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut some short if we need to. And they're all prefaced with uh, the prefix re, R-E, R-E, which means to go back. That's what it means when you see that in front of a word. Things like restore and redeem and reconcile and revive and reform and rejoice. It means to go back and do again. And so we're going to look at six re's. Uh, which are relevant for us transforming this area. And the first one starts in our heart. And you'll be familiar with the word. It's an old-fashioned word, but you'll be familiar with it. And it's called repentance. Oh, Tim, I didn't think I was coming to talk about repentance tonight. Well, repentance is really important because most of us repent enough to get set free from wrong uh, living but we don't get set free enough to be in the thriving of living of what God wants. You see, he's not just delivering us from something. He's, he's putting us into the plus side, not just restoring the minus, but into the plus, just like he did with that debt relief for us. It wasn't just getting us back to zero. It was the over and above. And true repentance isn't just getting set free from something. It's actually changing the way that we think. So that we start to think like heaven on earth. And, and you know, if we do that more and more, it's just going to start to happen here on earth. It'll just start manifesting because our thinking is changed. And Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern or prove what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, it's not just our thoughts that need to be different, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the way that we think, the way that we think, that we think from a different reality, that we don't think from this reality, but from a higher reality. Now, when I grew up, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but... You know, I had parents that picked up phrases from their parents and probably going back generations. And one of the things that they used to say was, he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. <laughs> Ever heard that phrase? Well, what a ridiculous phrase. Because we need to be so heavenly minded that we are of earthly good. It's completely the wrong way around. And God wants to give us insight, vision, pictures, breakthrough. Inventions, Mark prayed here earlier, so that we transform the world. Can I tell you a little story? I like stories, but I worked for another company some years ago, and they made coatings uh, for like airplanes, you know, like paint, uh, or like they paint airplanes up. And I, I worked on a pharmaceutical side of that particular company, but but I used to read the magazine for all the employees and all the different divisions that they had. 
And one of the things that they did is they developed a special coating for the space shuttle because when it came back into Earth, it would burn up. And so they had to pull all these tiles on and they had to coat it with a, a kind of chemical that wouldn't burn up on the re-entry into the Earth's surface. And uh, NASA had developed this formula, this coating, and, and uh, they, they went to patent it to, to, to produce it for their space shuttle. And when they got there, they discovered somebody had already patented it. That's kind of annoying, isn't it? You just kind of find a chemical compound that works only to discover somebody else had got it. And so they, they looked up who owned the patent, and it was this little hilly-billy farmer in the Midwest. So they went to visit him to see if he would be willing to sell or license the formula that he had. And they asked him this question, you know, how did you, because he was like a farmer, wasn't into chemicals, um, how did you come up with this far formula? And he told this story where he was on his combine harvester one day and, and he had an open vision. And God just like suspended this mathematical formula in front of his eyes. He had no idea what it was. It was just like a series of numbers and symbols. He, he'd, I don't think he'd ever done maths. But he just remembered it because it was so vivid. He went home and he wrote it down. And he had no idea what it was. So he, he was in church that Sunday and he went to his pastor and he said, any idea what this is? And his pastor said, well, it looks like some mathematical formula to me. Maybe you need to get some advice. So he went to, he went to uh, a lawyer. And the lawyer said, well, that sure looks like a, a chemical formula. I have no idea what it is, but I suggest that you patent it. And then if somebody ever wants it, you own it. And 20 years later, NASA knocked on the door. And he became a very wealthy man. <laughs> he gave 90% to the mission field and lived on the other 10%. You know, God's got things for us to discover. He hides them, not to tease us, but to, to, to bless us. Who'd like an invention or a formula or something that is impossible. I know there's some Bethel alumni here. Anybody Bethel alumni in here? Well, you've got a couple, yes. Well, this is a story from Bethel. A friend of mine told me this. So, this student was uh, in uh, one of the meetings, and she'd brought her father in, who was a kind of cerebral person, and uh, she brought him into this meeting, and, and during the meeting in the school, this is there was people doing cartwheels and falling over and laughing and the worship was crazy and off the charts and her dad just sat there looking a bit miserable, so she thought. And after a while, he got out a little notebook and a pencil and he started writing and she thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. So it got to lunchtime and she said, Dad, she said, was that really difficult for you sitting through that? meeting he wasn't used to that kind of church and uh, and he said no he, he said that was amazing and she said well you didn't seem to enter into the worship and you just sat down and you were writing little notes was the things that you didn't understand or didn't like and he said no she said well why did you get your notebook and pen out and he said well while all that crazy stuff was going on he said 
I had the answers to impossible equations. And he was a maths professor. And he used to set his students as a, as a kind of impossible task on the first day of every year. And he'd put 10 impossible equations on the board and ask them to solve it as their homework, knowing full well that they couldn't. And while he was sat in this worship service, God gave them the answers to these 10 impossible equations. You know, God's got answers to every problem. He's got a solution for everything. He really has, whether it's medicine, whether it's the legal system, whether it's health. He's got stuff that he's wanting to release through his church to make a difference in society. You know, governments bankrupt, basically. It doesn't matter which party gets in in this election. They haven't got the money. I got a friend, <laughs> and he's sat with a health minister, David Hunt, and he says, he said, there's a time coming when the church in this country will be doing so many miracles and healings that you won't need the NHS. <laughs> the hospitals will be emptying out. The prisons will be emptying out. Because God's going to touch this nation. Anyway, that was all repentance. Now that's good, isn't it? So, second one is relationships. These uh, uh, do have a meaning, if you can bear with me. The Lord is requiring more from us in our relationships. Not superficial, but going deeper. Being honest and vulnerable and loving with each other. And the goal is <coughs> safety in an intimate relationship with each other. You know, relationships are one of the few things that we can take into eternity with us. Can't take your house, can't take your money, but you can take relationships because they're eternal. Think about it. And uh, in Luke 5, verse 1, don't turn it up, but it's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he's calling his disciples, and they're fishermen. You, you know the story. And they've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. And he says, throw your nets on the other side. These are professional fishermen. They know what they're doing. Jesus is a novice. He's not a fisherman. He's the builder. We say carpenter, but he's actually builder. And I thought, who is he? Who is he? And he tells them to throw the net on the other sides. Well, their boats aren't like our boats today. All their rigging was on the starboard side, which meant that if you threw a net, it was likely to get snagged on all this rigging and wreck the net. Uh, uh, but they say, nevertheless, they did it anyway, and they caught a large catch. But sadly, they lost the catch because the nets were torn. If you read the beginning of that, it says they were mending their nets. They were torn. And a net is only as strong as its weakest link. Many years ago, I went <coughs> fishing on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, had a friend, a family friend of my wife, and he had a trawler. And he was, you know, he said, "Do you want to come fishing?" And I said, "Yeah, okay. I'm not really done deep sea fishing before. I'll come." So he said, "Okay, tomorrow morning, three o'clock." I thought. I was on holiday. I thought, that's a bad move. Anyway, we went off and we, we dropped this net <coughs> and it was half a mile long. And uh, we trawled it for four hours. And, and after four hours, he began to winch. He had an electric winch. He began to winch this catch. 
And uh, two things happened with this catch. The first thing is the boat went like this because of the weight of the catch. And I thought we were capsizing. I'm freaking out because it's okay. The second thing was that the as the net came to the surface, it was making the most terrible creaking sound. And I said, what's that? And he said, it's the net. It's under strain because of the catch. And I said, how often do you have to replace your nets? Thinking it would be like every couple of years. And he said, every two months. Because day in, day out, catching a catch like that puts huge pressure on the net. And immediately God spoke to me and said, every knot in that net is like a relationship in my church. And the net is only as strong as its weakest link. Which is why our responsibility is to really work hard on our relationships. What do we fail in most? Relationships. You know, the name that you have for this group is prophetic as one. Because you may be a different knot, you may even be in a different local congregation. But we're all connected through the net. And this bit might be strong and that bit might be weak. But we're all responsible for strengthening relationships. We may, but we may not be directly connected to every knot, but we're connected to the ones around us. And we need to maintain and make sure that that net is strong. Because God wants to bring a catch into the church. And we're like the net. Whether you're in the marketplace, whether you're in one of the seven mountains, whether you're in the church, we're all part of a net that's part of a, 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 a system to catch what God's about to pour in. In this passage, they were tending their nets, mending it, it says in some translations. The sad thing is, many times revival has come to this nation and other nations and afterwards, the relationships in church are worse than they were before. If you go to the Welsh Revival, something like 200,000 people came into the kingdom. But afterwards, the churches were more divided and falling out with each other than they were before. Why? Because the nets weren't strong. And God wants a strong net. There is hope. Says, oh, good, I was just about to throw myself off a bridge there. What? In John 21, we see a very similar passage. Jesus is cooking breakfast on the beach. This is after his resurrection now. The disciples have gone back to fishing because they kind of lost hope and thought, what was that all about, those three years walking with Jesus? <coughs> they go back to what's familiar, back to fishing. They fished all night and haven't caught anything. And Jesus, who they've not yet recognized, shouts to them and says, throw the net on the other side. And they hang on a minute, we've been here before. And they recognize Jesus. And they throw the net on the other side. And this time they get a huge catch. It says 153 fish. It was a huge catch in their net. And they couldn't haul it in themselves. And they had to signal to others in other boats to come and help to bring the catch in. Great prophetic picture. What God wants to do with the church. It's not my church against your church. It's not my business against your business. It's together. We get to share the catch, to bring the catch in. 
And uh, in the first incident, they were competitive with each other. These were fishermen competing to get the catch. But after walking with Jesus for three years, they learned what it was to complement one another, not to compete with one another. And so they could be trusted with a, a second catch, which was what he did. So first we have repentance. Second, we have relationships. The third is restoration. Restoration. You know, in restoration, if you restore something like an old chair or an old car, the great thing about restoration is it's probably better than the original was because life moves on, there's techniques and ways to, to improve on how it was originally designed. And that's like restoration with us. God designed us, but he's, he's restoring us and he's, he's taking us back, not to just the original, but better than we ever were originally, the design that he had for us. He had a design for man. Adam messed up. But in Jesus, the second man, he's designing us better than ever before. That includes all of us. And it says in Acts 3 <coughs> that he's restoring all things. All things. And he's using the church to restore all things. That doesn't mean restore the, the building of the church. It means to restore the land around us to literally bring back to the original intention that God had. You know, he gave Adam that commission to subdue, to rule, and to fill the earth. Well, now he's given it to us, to rule. That's what kingdom authority means, kingdom, the king's domain. It's the rule of the king, not our rule, his rule. And he's entrusted it to us. And we have the commission to release the Holy Spirit wherever we go. To see breakthrough. To see change. To see transformation. It might be in your business. It might be in school. It might be in your street or your neighborhood. Your community. Whatever sphere God's entrusted you with. He wants you to see the Holy Spirit bring transformation. I mentioned earlier about my daughter that was really sick. One of the things that I began to do some years into her sickness, because she wasn't walking with God, she wouldn't allow us to pray with her. She, she was quite resistant. And so I would go into her bedroom when she wasn't there. And I would pray for the Holy Spirit to fill the atmosphere of that bedroom and release heaven in that, in that sphere. And I was taken back to the original creation when it says the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth, which was formless and void, the darkness. And there felt darkness in this room because of the oppression that my daughter was under. And I said, and the original meaning literally means Holy Spirit vibrate in this place. And I began to pray, vibrate in this place, in this space. I've got to tell you another story, then I'll come back to that one. Um, a friend of mine in Canada, he was, uh, he, he, he was, had, had an unusual encounter in that for, for a period of time, every time he came home to his apartment, 
at, at nine o'clock at night, he would get this real burden to speak in tongues. And uh, he didn't really understand why he spoke in tongues, but not in this way. It was like an intercessory burden, and he didn't really understand why. And it would always start at nine o'clock whenever he was at home in his apartment. If he was away traveling, it wouldn't happen. But whenever he was at home, nine o'clock, and he'd try to watch telly, and, and he just couldn't. And he'd have to turn it off, and he'd march up and down his front room, just speaking in tongues, not really understanding what he was doing. And uh, his wife goes, oh, you're doing this again. And it went on for two years. And he thought he was kind of going mad. He tried to stop or he'd go to bed early. Or, and he'd find himself back out doing this, marching up and down his front room. Well, after two years, a neighbor slipped a note under his door. He said, we need to see you. He said, oh. <laughs> so they arranged this time for the neighbor to come over, have a cup of tea. <laughs> and uh, so the neighbor came with a 14-year-old daughter. And uh, uh, they were having tea and some cake, and it was all you know, small talk and pleasantries. And after a while, my friend said, okay, well, he wants to come and see us. Is there anything particular? And the mother kind of nudged the daughter like this, and the daughter kind of sheepishly said, well, she said, every night when I go to bed, I hear you speaking a funny language. I don't know what language it is, but... My bedroom wall is the other side of what is your lounge, where they were having tea. And uh, I just hear you for an hour, between 9 and 10 every night. And he said, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, I can't really explain why I'm doing that. And she said, well, this is the 14-year-old daughter said, well, I understand. She said, every time I go to bed, I have strong suicidal thoughts, like I want to kill myself. And when I hear you speaking that funny language through my bedroom wall, peace comes into my bedroom and I fall asleep and the thoughts go away anyway back to my <laughs> back to my daughter I, I just released the Holy Spirit into her bedroom I just said literally vibrate well two years later when we least expected it because remember my daughter wouldn't allow us to pray with her she was suffering in turmoil but she still wouldn't allow us to pray directly with her and she came out of hospital, and she was in her bedroom where she spent a lot of her time. And uh, she came down, and she said, Mom, Dad, you need to sit down. I've got something to tell you. I went, okay. <laughs> and she said, something happened to me last night. I was really desperate, and I called out to God and said, if you are real, then I want you to reveal yourself to me now. Otherwise, I'm going to kill myself. And God revealed himself to her. And it was like a light switch went on in her mind. And he began to show her pictures of how she, I have permission to tell this story, of, of how she was in a dungeon. And she was lost in a dungeon of a big castle. And one day, the owner of the castle was wandering around and found himself in a cellar and found my daughter in a jail and said, you don't belong here. I've been looking for you. You're the princess that lives upstairs. You don't belong down here. And he took her by the hand and he led her upstairs and said, this is where you live. And it brought hope to her. And she had an encounter because 
The Holy Spirit was given permission to vibrate. If you have a prodigal, or if you have someone that doesn't want you to talk to them about God, then just start to release Holy Spirit. I don't tell them you're doing that. Just go to their house and do it. <clears throat> if you have a business and you can't get orders, then start to allow the Holy Spirit to vibrate. This is not a formula. This is a person. This is a relationship. And just say, Holy Spirit, go before me. Start to do your work. He's a God of restoration. Number four. Are we doing all right for time? I can make it really quick. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> Number four is renaissance. Renaissance, which means rebirth. And we, we know it as a cultural movement that spanned the period roughly between the 14th and 17th century, beginning in Italy in the late Middle Ages and later spreading to the rest of Europe. Um, through the avail availability of paper and the invention of metal, movable type sped the dissemination of ideas from the later 15th century and, <coughs> and the changes of the Renaissance uh, were experienced all across Europe. It wasn't just art. It was a whole time of learning and uh, fed into kind of mod modernity that we have today. Well, guess what? God's releasing a new renaissance. He's releasing a new renaissance. And I, I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories to illustrate this, but it's not just art. Well, I'll tell you some arts, art stories first. God is using art to reach people that wouldn't come into a church building. I have a friend in Harrogate. She had this whole vision for an art center, and she had this crazy favor. It was two empty floors above a Costa Coffee in Harrogate, and she just had this vision for an art center that where, where just all kinds of art and music would be going on all through the day. And, and people could drop in and experience that. And she's had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the last four years since it's been open just come through the building. The mental health authorities send patients to it because they get healed in the environment. And this isn't a Christian project overtly. It's just a center. Another person I know, she painted a picture. It was hung in a gallery. A businessman came in and bought the picture. And he hung it in his office. And every day when he came to work, he began to cry and weep and didn't understand what was happening to him. And he'd look at this picture and begin to weep. And then eventually he went back to the gallery and said, could you tell me about the, the artist that painted this picture? And they said, oh, yes, yeah, so-and-so. And this person was a Christian that painted. And every picture that she painted, she prayed Holy Spirit would literally saturate the picture and bring healing to people. Another friend I have in this country, she heard this story and she, she was doing, she's an artist, but she, she also works in the NHS. She runs a hospital and she painted pictures and all through this hospital is her pictures, the prophetic art and people get healed looking at these pictures. And the government minister came to open the hospital a couple of years ago and she gave him a prophetic art piece of art. She didn't say it's prophetic art. She just told him this is what it meant. 
And it's hanging in his office right now. Jeremy Hunt put a piece of prophetic art on his office. God, right now, just speak to him. <laughs> God's releasing something through the artist that's reaching people that traditional outreach can't. There's hospitals inviting prophetic artists into their midst. And they say, well, come on, you've done this picture. Tell us what they mean. And they're sharing the gospel because it's a piece of art. They wouldn't be allowed to go in as a missions team and pray with the patients. But because it's a piece of art, it kind of bypasses all that protocol. And they're allowed to go in and describe what they're painting. There's another church that really took this to heart and felt, prophetically we need to go and pray for all the businesses in our city so they made a list of all the businesses and they made kind of the top 70 that they would target first of all and this prophetic team in the church began to pray for those businesses and they would get words of knowledge and, and, and insight about that business and then they would make an appointment with the managing director or someone from the board and say can we come and talk to you about your business we just want to bless your business and they go, okay, you can come. And they would come and they would begin to share with them. They didn't use Christianese. They would just say, this is what we see about your business. This is what we understand it's doing for the community. This is what we understand is the vision for your business. And grown businessmen would begin to weep when they realized somebody cared for them. And in many cases, they took the prophetic words, which they didn't realize were prophetic words, and put it on their wall as mission statements. And people would come in and read the mission statements and say, wow, that's amazing. Where did you get that from? And businesses were writing to this church, prophetic team, to ask them to come to their businesses. And they'd gone through something like 250 businesses in their city, just bringing words of encouragement and insight. We had a life coach in our church some years ago. She's gone back to South Africa now. She was dealing with high-level businessmen, like boards of banks and you know, the top board. And uh, she would go in and she would do her coaching, training with, with these uh, board of directors. And at the end, we, we taught her how to be prophetic. At the end, she would, they would sit in a circle and just have some feedback. And they would give her feedback about her, her coaching. And then she said, well, I, I'd like to give you some feedback. And she'd go around literally prophesying over them. They, they, again, she didn't say I'm prophesying over you. She'd say, when I see you, this is what I see. And again, they were blown away. Absolutely blown away. Some years ago, I was approached by a, a, a kind of business mentoring group. They're, they're all over the world. And they're, they're kind of groups of 12 business people with a chair. And uh, they come together once a month and uh, they, will, they will meet for the day and somebody is allowed to present a problem that they have in their business and the other 11 plus the chair will contribute solutions uh, to, to break. It's like instead of having a non-executive director, they get like 12 people and they have to pay something like 30,000, 40,000 pounds a year to be part of this group. Well, I found myself invited to one of these groups. I was a pastor at the time 
And I'm thinking, you know, there's this guy, managing director of this business, and this guy, chief executive for this business. And, and they're going around the room invite, um, <coughs> introducing themselves, and then it comes to me. And they say, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And they kind of sniggered and laughed and thought, this is kind of strange. Why have we got a pastor in the room? And I didn't know why I'd been invited. And then somebody was invited to share a problem, and they started to talk about this problem. And after a while, I thought, well, these aren't problems just for business. These are the problems we have in the church, too. These are people problems. And so after a while, they said, Tim, do you want to contribute? Have you got anything to say? So I just began to say some things, which to us was just normal. Well, they were just blown away by the wisdom, their words, not mine, and the insight. Well, afterwards, three of them approached me individually and said, would you come and be a non-executive director on our board? Would, could I meet with you? The richest stockbroker outside of London came to Harrogate to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. He was like offering me a job. I said, oh, no, I'm not called to do that. You know, when, when we become salt and light out there, preservative, tasty, they want what you have. Because wisdom is integrity, creativity. That's what they feel. They, they can't even put words to it. It's just like when, when you're around, something happens. My daughter, the one that was sick, she's working in a shop called Sweaty Betty. Anybody heard of that? It's got a high-end gym wear. She's, she's doing that. She's training to be a nutritionist. But she's in this, in this shop. And she wanted to work in Sweaty Betty Harrogate for like four years. And they just said, no, no chance. She goes to Bristol and she gets offered a job. Miraculous story. I haven't got time to tell it. She gets offered this job. And she's had that job for nine months. She's been made supervisor now. But in that nine months, this shop has gone from the worst performing shop in Britain to the number, uh, number seven. It's the fastest growth of sales of any, any of their shops, like 800 shops they've got. Because she's just full of the Holy Spirit. You know, she's got a testimony. She's, got, she's not going around telling everybody. She's just oozing life. She's their number one salesperson because the Holy Spirit's in her and he's energizing her. And she just, I mean, somebody came in and, and you know, bought a couple of thousand pounds worth of stuff and, and she's ringing it up in the till and uh, the person said, you know who I am? And my daughter says, no, sorry, I, I, I don't. And this person said, I'm a famous person. My daughter said, I don't watch television. I'm sorry, who are you? It was Carol Vorderman. <laughs> anyway, enough of that story. There's a renaissance coming all over. Whatever sphere God's entrusted you with, there is breakthrough. <coughs> Remember what I said about changing the way we think. You know, God's not just working the way that we're used to. He's breaking the mold and he's working more out there than in here. Anyway, I love church. I'm not against church, but you know, sometimes if we just did 5% of what we did in here out there, we'd see more breakthrough. Years ago, we had a team come to teach us how to do dream interpretation and prophetic words, which they called spiritual, um, what's the word? Spiritual readings. And we had 100 people come for training, 
in a building like this in the morning. And uh, the team kind of taught us how to do this. And, you know, 30 seconds, you get a word. Couldn't have more than that because they said on the streets, people won't hang around for more than 30 seconds unless you catch something. So we practiced all this stuff. And then they said, right, it's lunchtime. This afternoon, we're going to go on the streets. And everybody's thinking, I don't think we're going on the streets. I thought we are coming in a classroom. So over lunch, we lost 50 people. They didn't come back in the afternoon because <laughs> they didn't want to go on the streets. And I was the pastor, so I had to come. So we're out, we're out on the streets with little signs saying spiritual readings. And my knees are knocking like this in the precinct. And everybody's looking at me because I'm the pastor. Like, well, let's watch him first. And these two teenage lads, 14-year-olds, came up and said, go on then, do your best. And I took a deep breath, and I started, I see. That's all I said, I see. And boom, there was a prophetic word about this person's destiny and how, how they were going to write music and release music and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, this guy's jaw dropped. He goes, how do you know that? And I, and I, I said, well, creator's just told me. He goes, Whoa, that's spooky. I've never told anybody that. That's my dream. And his friend's freaking out. He goes, it is, it is. <laughs> well, they go off and they bring back more friends. <laughs> and we only did it for one hour on a Saturday afternoon, 50 of us in pairs. And we had 500 people in one hour that will probably touch more than all the prophetic meetings we've ever had in church. And out of that was birthed a ministry called Star Dream, which now goes into universities, again, bypasses the CU and all this kind of stuff, and goes straight into the psychic fairs. And they, they've had witches and warlocks and everything else get saved because they say, whoa, you are high-level accuracy like we can't be. Enough of Renaissance. I've got to move on really quickly. Number five, Reformation. Reformation. You know, we, we hear of the great reformers like Shaftesbury, Wilberforce, the Clapham sect, William Booth, all these amazing people that brought transformation to this nation uh, that went to other places in the world. But I want to just tell you very quickly about two uh, reformers that literally changed uh, aspects of Europe. The first one was John Calvin. Some years ago, I went to Geneva and uh, I met uh, a guy from YWAM who's an expert on John Calvin. And he took me around the, the old city of Geneva and, and showed me all the different buildings. And he said something really interesting. He said, John Calvin was not a Calvinist. That's the generations that came afterwards. He was just a, an apostolic reformer or transformer that was so concerned about his society that he just, with a team, began to address every area of society. And it's a staggering story in that, that Geneva in 1500 was the, it had a reputation of being the most vile, degenerate, and corrupt city in Europe, and the smelliest city in Europe. In fact, it was the poorest city in Europe. It was overwhelmed by refugees from France. And all the merchants left, and it became this, this slum dwelling place. And John Calvin and his team literally started to address every area 
of society. That was government, law, health, education, church, and all these different mountains begin, began to reform with a vision that was cast. Very practical stuff. And the city went from the poorest city to the richest city in Europe and has remained so ever since per capita of the population. And even today, it's a world city for government. 70% of all the treaties in the world are signed in Geneva. It's the birthplace of the International Red Cross. It's the place where chocolate and Swiss watches and engineering are known for their excellence. And it was one man that literally addressed all of those different mountains. There was another man in Norway. Norway in 1800 was the poorest nation in Europe. And there was a, a God-fearing man called Haugar. And he had a vision to transform Norway. And he went around preaching the gospel and planted a thousand churches in his lifetime. But everywhere he went, he taught the, the community, the church that he just led to Christ. He taught them how to build a water mill. Because they were peasants, they didn't know. Sometime later, when electricity started to come in, where did the government go? Wherever there was a water mill. And the Christians literally became the wealthiest communities all across Norway. I have a friend, he's in ministry in Norway, and he says, even today, you can go to the areas where the Christians uh, and these pioneering churches were, were built in these, these um, water mills, and they're still today the wealthiest parts of Norway. And you can go to other areas where there was no church and no water mill, and they're still relatively poorer. But Norway is the richest country in Europe per capita. The government, because of oil, have put money aside for every single citizen of Nor Norway, something like £40,000 uh, in a trust fund for every single uh, person in Norway. Two Christians, Calvin and Halgar. One transformed a city, one transformed a nation. God, do it again. God, do it in the northeast of England. I'm looking at a bunch of reformers here. God can get hold of you, and because of you knowing him, you can start to transform your street, your community, your business. I got one more R, and then we're done, and it's revival. And God wants to visit this nation with another revival. One that doesn't stop, but carries on until he comes back. See, a revival for a couple of years is something, but I want a revival that literally transforms. And I don't think it's an accident that Renaissance, Reformation, and Revival are all sinking to come together at the same time. Because a revival isn't enough, it doesn't change a nation. But Re Reformation does. It's the 500th anniversary this year of the first Reformation that saw the birth of the Protestant movement. Well, this new Reformation is not going to look like the last one but it's going to reform society. Why don't we stand together? And let's release something over the northeast of England. I know you know some of this stuff. It's not all new, but...
I want to whet your appetite for what God's vision is. For all these cities in the north, all these towns and communities. Oh, Lord, do it again. Where's the Howgars? Where's the Calvins? Where's the Clapham Sex and the Wilberforces? People that are burning to see something change. It's not a change of government. It's not whether we're in Europe or out of Europe. These are all red herrings. It's whether the Holy Spirit lives here. We're going to release Holy Spirit to vibrate in Whitley Bay that it literally radiates out like ripples in a pond all over the northeast of England. And if you say, well, you should start in Newcastle or Gateshead or Sunderland, no, God always chooses somewhere like a backwater, like Whitley Bay. Can anything good come out of Whitley Bay? Yes. The Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we literally invite you to vibrate, to hover over the darkness in the northeast of England. Those that have lost hope, those that have lost jobs or broken relationships or are in debt or sickness. And we invite you to come in with a new renaissance that speaks of your goodness. <coughs> we invite you to raise up a new generation of reformers in the marketplace that literally transforms the health service. Thank you for the NHS. But we want more, Lord. We want to see healings. Your purpose is divine health. Not just healings, but divine health. Let this place be known for the least sick place in Britain. We pray for the criminal justice system in this area. Where's the young couple that do the prison ministry? Where are you? Just put your hands up. Just put hands on them if you're near them. Ha. Lord, I pray that what you've started with this project of Junction 42 might literally go global in its impact. Lord, that they don't just visit prisoners, but transformation of heart starts to take place. Repentance in thinking. Lord, not just for the offender, but their whole families. To come to know you. To realize the purpose and destiny upon their lives. Lord, raise up more people to reach into those communities, prisons. Even before people get to prisons. Ha. We pray for the education system. Ha. Lord, under the pressure, the pressure that teachers and educationalists are feeling, 
I pray that you birth something, something new that expresses your heart. Lord, it's like the church and education or academia and universities were like three, three legs to a stall. And the church has been chopped off and the stall's fallen over. Restore your church to great thinking in those places of learning. Let solutions come forth. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for the business community that the Northeast might no longer be seen as the poor relative of Britain, but becomes the powerhouse of the nation. We pray for businesses to come, not to exploit, but to excel. Lord, we pray for foreign investment in this place. We pray for decent wages. We pray for good conditions. Lord, that men can go home, men and women can go home, proud of the day's work that they've done. Lord, we ask you to raise up entrepreneurs in this area with visions and inventions and ideas that this literally becomes the powerhouse of Europe. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Your prayer was that we would be one. That our salvation is worked out in community, not isolation or individualism. And we pray for the church in Whitley Bay. Every one of them. Lord, that we don't concentrate on our differences, but we concentrate on who you are. Our dad. Our heavenly dad. And just as those who are parents and have kids, know that our kids are so different from each other. But we don't love one more than the other. We love them all. That's what you do with your kids, your church. You love us all. Whatever brand, whatever badge we wear, we're your kids. And I pray for a unity in diversity to be so powerful in the northeast of England. Lord, that net... Let it get really knotty, strong relationships that when you pour out the revival that you're bringing, this net in this area will be strong, that not one will be lost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let it be. Amen. Alan's just asked me to pray for those with cancer, or if they're not here, you can stand in the gap for them. You know, cancer's no more difficult for God to heal than a headache. Doesn't originate with him. I always like to say, what's God's will? Whatever's in heaven should be here on earth. Whatever's not in heaven shouldn't be here. There's no cancer in heaven. So we're going to curse that. 
and we're going to release blessing instead. Healthy cells reproducing. So just stand in the gap or raise your hand if that's you. We break off any shame. Any shame. Oh, Papa God, you love us so much. Your provision's already here. We don't have to twist your arm. You're a good, good dad. And you love to bless your kids. And right now, I curse every cancerous cell and I release heaven into the bodies of us. Into the bodies of those that have been afflicted. And we rebuke you, devil. You have no authority. No authority. And we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We release your grace and your healing, divine health in these loved ones. Oh Lord, we begin to declare. We begin to release divine health in the northeast of England. The healthiest place in Britain. Oh, Jesus, come and touch these people right now. Let them know your love and your grace and your healing flowing through their bodies right now. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to tell you one quick testimony. This is a friend of mine. She was, this is, don't freak out of this, you know, it's changed the way you think. She was asleep in bed and she woke up having a dream, or so she thought, and she was levitating off her bed. You know, and I, when I heard this story, I thought, well, that sounds demonic. Well, the devil can only copy, he can't create. And uh, so she was levitating off her bed. The great thing is she had an angel holding her hand. And as she was reaching the ceiling of her bedroom, she thought she was going to get squashed, and then the ceiling... Uh, parted, and then the roof of her house parted, and this angel took her and was like flying through the air, and she came down over the roof of another house and through the ceiling and found herself at the foot of a bed, and she recognized her friend and her husband in this bed. And at that point, the husband woke up and said, what are you doing in my bedroom? And she said, I don't really know, but I think I should pray for my friend. And her friend had stage four cancer. So she just prayed a simple prayer, and then she went back with the angel, flew through the air, came through the ceiling of her bedroom. The angel dropped her like six foot off her bed, and she bounced. She didn't hurt herself, but she bounced on the mattress. I think he was just teasing and having a bit of fun. And her husband woke up and said, what are you doing? She said, I don't know. In the morning, she woke up, and she thought, that was a strange dream, until her friend phoned. I said, my husband said you were in our bedroom last night. What were you doing? And she said, I just prayed for you. She prayed a hundred times before, but she just found herself in this encounter, praying for a friend. And her friend said, well, I woke up this morning. I don't feel ill at all. I feel completely different. She subsequently went to the doctor and then the consultant. They couldn't find a cancerous cell in her body. Whatever way he chooses to do it, he doesn't need to bring an angel. Whatever way he chooses to do it, just believe. Just believe. Thank you. Amen. Oh, man. Wow, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, two weeks ago, I was, in a, I was in a morgue praying for somebody to be ris- risen from the dead. Huh. I took that funeral service two weeks ago, so that'll tell you the end of the story. I took that service uh, about a week ago. That's the fourth person I've prayed for to be raised from the dead. I believe one day I'll see it. I believe one day I'll see it. But I'll not see it unless I pray. You've got to pray for the dead before you see them raised. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. And, and I know many of us in this place have prayed for healings. And I know many of us in this place, or the some in this place, have struggled to see their cancers go. But we have to keep praying. And we have to keep believing that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We have to believe it, church. And I really believe that we are on the edge of something really new and really significant. And I'll still go and pray for the dead. Because I believe one day they'll get off the slab and they'll look at me and go, thank you, Alan. Wow. So, I want to just bless you as you go. Thank you for coming to As One. Because this is more than a meeting. It looks like a meeting. It smells like a meeting. But it's more than a meeting. I'll tell you for why. Because we're coming together as one. There's a spiritual dynamic to that. That the region and the nation is waiting for. That there would be one Father as we're one. Wow. So God, I just speak blessing over every person in this place tonight. And we just declare again that every sickness and disease be healed, be gone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We declare that every business prosper. In Jesus' name. We declare that this region becomes alive with the vibration of the Holy Spirit. Wow. We declare that poverty be broken off us in Jesus' name. We declare that we will see the harvest of many, many souls coming to Jesus, coming to a good God. We declare that. And as we make these declarations, we believe in agreement together that we will see that we will see the goodness of God in this land of the living, here on earth, today, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's just thank Tim for coming and bringing his word. Come on, let's give him some encouragement.